It's amazing some of the things that you remember from times gone by, isn't it? The small things that you will remember, like from elementary school or maybe in college or whatever. And there's one of those things that I remember very well uh, from when I was in uh, college. I took Greek for about one year in in Greek. The first uh, semester uh, was uh, about eight of us, and the second semester there were only two of us. Some of you, I may have told this story to some of you. I don't know if if, uh, if I have or not, but if I have, just act like you don't know it, all right? But the, in the second semester, the, 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 the other person in Greek besides me was an 80-year-old woman uh, who was a, a former Latin teacher but wanted to learn Greek before she passed away. And so she was just auditing the class. I was the only one in there uh, for a grade, which was really not a good thing. But nevertheless, uh, taking Greek. And our Greek professor was a man by the name of Primitivo, Primitivo Delgado. So he was Cuban. So I learned Greek with a Cuban accent. And so one of the things about, um, uh, about the Greek, this professor, <clears throat> is we always had our class at 8 o'clock, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 8 o'clock in the morning. That's not a fun time to have a class, by the way. And uh, one of the things that you had to do in, in learning this language, as in most languages, I suppose, is that you learn that you conjugate verbs. And at the, there's a suffix at the end of the verbs that gives you an indication as, as to whether it's first, second, or third person, singular, or plural. And those words at the end of the Greek words are, are o, is, e, omen, ete, usi. And so this probably 75, 78-year-old professor would come down the hall. We'd be in our classroom, and we'd be sitting in... Uh, the, the desk waiting for the professor to come. He was always right at 8 o'clock or just a few minutes after. But we would be in our seats waiting for him to arrive, and first semester and second. And we'd always hear him coming down the hall, and he'd be doing the same thing. Oh, isi, omanete usi. Oh, isi, omanete usi. And that's the only reason why I can remember those today. That's the only reason I can remember those. That's about the only thing I can remember really well from from Greek. But, you know, we learned in taking this language that we had to parse words. We had to parse words. And to parse a word means that you would break the word down to understand or analyze what it really means. Well, as we come to today's passage of Scripture, we're going to look at something that Jesus says. And we really don't need to parse it down because it is very, very clear what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. And so we want to see what he is saying to the Pharisees, but also see how it applies to us today as well. Y'all with me this morning? So that's what we're going to look at here in this passage of Scripture. And so we're going to look at John chapter 8. We're going to finish out uh, this chapter today, start in verse 37, going to the end of the chapter, verse 59. And so in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage of Scripture for us. Uh, today. Remember that he, he is speaking to people who said, we talked about this last week, who said they believed in him, uh, but in reality we, f- we see through the rest of this chapter that they really did not believe in him. They were only saying that they did, uh, or they may have believed him in one fashion, but not fully. So we pick up now in verse 37. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I uh, come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon, for Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the the power of the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the word of Jesus as he spoke here to these people in our passage today. And we thank you for the power as your spirit speaks to our heart today as well. Lord, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear. May we take the word now and apply it to our, word, to the, to our own hearts and our own lives. May we hear the word very clearly, Lord, that you have for us today. And Lord, we trust you by faith that you're going to work in all the hearts and lives of all of us here today. Lord, to bring about a challenging message that we need to hear, a conviction where we need to hear, a call upon our lives to live like you, live for you, but Lord, to hear what you need for us to hear as you are who you say you are in the word. Now, Lord, may you have your way in all of our hearts and lives. May your word be be powerful in each of us, and Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in us. And so, Lord, when we walk away from here, we'll know we've been in your presence. So, Lord, may the words in my mouth, meditation in my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you picked up a bulletin, you notice something just a little different today. There really is only one point, but don't get too excited, all right, because there's three sub-points, all right, and then there's two sub-sub-points under those, but we're going to get them all uh, here as we look at this chapter. But there really is just one main point for the message today as we look at uh, only Jesus, that's our series, seeing the Savior in this selfie world and seeing him as the I am. And so the main point that we want to look at as we think about Jesus being the I am is the fulcrum of our faith. The fulcrum of faith. The fulcrum of faith. Okay, so last week, if you recall, for those of you who were here, I gave you a little bit of a math lesson at the end about greater than sign and lesser than sign. So yeah, I didn't charge you for that at all. I'm not going to charge you for this one either. And that is this science, this, this science lesson in what a fulcrum is. Okay, so a fulcrum, as you may know, is the point where a lever arm moves. So if you think about a seesaw, that point that's in the middle of the seesaw is the fulcrum. It's the pivot point, okay? So the pivot point. And so what we see in this passage today is a pivot point. It's a pivotal moment. It is the place, the fulcrum of faith. And so we see the pivot point in what Jesus is saying here, but it's also the pivot point of being a disciple of Jesus as well. And so what we find in today's passage of Scripture is a very poignant and a very pointed discussion that we see here between Jesus, as you heard it read just a moment ago, between Jesus and the Pharisees or the Jewish leadership. And so as the discussion heats up, and indeed you can hear it, it's heating up, and it it does heat up. And they had asked Jesus, if you remember from a couple weeks ago in verse 25, or last week rather, verse 25, where they said, who are you? And now they're asking in verse 53, who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, who do you claim to be? Who are you really? Who are you? And then we see, and we're going we're gonna to skip all from 37 all the way down, pick up at verse 56, and then go back, all right? And we see Jesus says this starting in verse 56. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Well, I mean, that's just, that's just, they can't understand this. They said, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? 
And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Beloved, listen. That is a pivotal moment. This is what Jesus said. Here is where our faith hinges and rests. When Jesus says, I am. Now, for us, maybe that does not mean too much to us. But for the Jew who is listening to him, it is very clear what Jesus is saying here. He is using the high, holy name of God that is a sacred name that people did not utter. Jesus says, that's who I am. And he's looking back and remembering, and he is quoting from what God, in, in the burning bush experience, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Maybe you remember this passage. Let me read it for you. If you remember what took place, Moses had been wandering in the desert. Uh, he had been away from Egypt. He's about 80 years old or so about now. And Moses says to, uh, says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so now here, Jesus speaking to people who would know the Old Testament scriptures very, very well, would know exactly who who God is and know the high and holy name of God. Jesus says to them, most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you that before Abraham was, I am. You see, if there was any question about Jesus' claim to be God. If anyone has any question about Jesus' claim to be God, that question is answered right here because he takes the most holy name of God upon himself. Well, why does Jesus do that? Well, it's very simple. It's because he is who he says he is. Amen? It's because he is God. That's why he uses the name of God, because he is God. Notice, he doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. No, he clearly, unapologetically proclaims that he is, that he always has been, and he always will be. He is the great I am. And so he's equating himself with the burning bush in Exodus who spoke to Moses to let his people go. He is that God. He is the same one that Isaiah saw sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He is that God. He is the same one who is in the, with the three Hebrew children cast into the fire furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. He is that God. Jesus is the I Am. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus uses this term, uh, that name, on various occasions. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door of the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. And then here we see very clearly, before Abraham was... I am. It's clear, clear cut. The claim is clear cut and cloudless. There's no fog hanging here. Jesus is very clear as to who he is. He is God. He is the I am. And it is upon this fulcrum, this point, that everything pivots. Y'all with me this morning? Amen? Hanging in there with me? Amen? All right. So everything pivots on this point. Because if he is not God, then the miracles have no meaning. If he is not God, then the cross will have no power. If he is not God, then the resurrection does not happen. If he is not God, then he is just an ordinary teacher whose teachings are just moral platitudes and we have no hope for eternity. He is just like a Confucius or just like a Buddha or just like a a Muhammad, whatever, whoever, but he is not God. But if he is not God, what hope? Do we have? But here's the truth. He is God. He is the I am. And on this point, everything and everyone must pivot. So either you believe fully, completely, that he is who he says he is, or you do not. You see, there's no middle ground here. It's the pivotal point. It's the pivot point. Where everything shifts, where everything rests. 
Where do you stand? And so as we look at our passage, Jesus is very clear. As he shares this word with these folks, these Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, he is very clear who he is. But not only that, he is very clear who they are as well. Can't you see that in this passage too? We'll see that more in depth here in a second. He is very clear who they are. But we, and so listen, the question is, let's be clear today who we are. Amen? Jesus is clear who he is. He's clear who they are. Now let's be clear who we are. And so we see here that we either believe fully, completely in Jesus as who he is and what he stands for and what he's done and what that means to us, or we do not. There are only two possibilities. You can't sort of wishy-washy wiggle your way through. It's one or the other. That's how it is. It's the pivotal point. It's the fulcrum of faith. We are or we're not. And so, if, here, and so here's, here's the thing that we're going to see in these subpoints. Because there's two possibilities, only two possibilities, as we see in this passage of Scripture, then there are two different fathers. Two different fathers. And we see that when Jesus points out that there's two different fathers, when we look at verse 38, for these two different ways. He says, verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So there's just two different... He's not talking about an individual father. He's talking about a father over a group of people. His father and then this father over a group of people. And so as believers in Jesus, just so we're clear, as believers in Jesus Christ who are disciples of him, who've been born again, washed in the blood, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again, believing what he has done, then our father is a holy heavenly God. He is the one true God, the one true living God. He is our holy heavenly Father. Amen? Would you agree with that? So our Father in heaven is a heavenly Father, a heavenly Father. He is, he is the Father who is holy, holy, holy. The one who is righteous, the one who is perfect, the one who is gracious, the one who is loving. And so when we know Jesus as Savior, we have His Father, which is our Father, our heavenly Father. You remember that Jesus spoke about uh, our Father, and when he taught the disciples uh, how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. You remember that he started that prayer by saying, Our what? Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? And so we see that, that it is our Father when we know Jesus Christ as Savior. And he is in heaven. He's a heavenly Father. He's a, a holy Father. Hallowed be thy name. And his name is to be reverence, is to be in awe of who he is. Our Father is in heaven, and hallowed be his name. But also we see in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, it tells us, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and you, we are the clay, and you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. We also see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. So we have the same Father if we are children of God, if we are disciples of the Lord Jesus, been born again. And in Romans 8, 15, it tells us this, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He is our Father. When we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we trust him by faith, when we really, really believe in him completely, fully knowing him to be who he is and what he has done, then our Father is, is the holy, heavenly Father. But if your Father is not holy, heavenly God, then you have a different Father. If you've not believed in Jesus, then there is a different Father. And Jesus tells who that Father is, and, and we see again in verse 38, he speaks of that. He says, speak what I, what I have seen with my father, you do what you've seen with your father, speaking to the Pharisees. Then in verse 41 and verse 42, it says, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, but well, we're not born of fornication, we have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. So he's indicating that their father is not the same as his. God's not their father. And then in verse 44, the beginning of that, we see that he Clearly spells out. Here, here's, the, here's the very clear point. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. 
So what we see here is that Jesus has pointed out to these people, these Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, that they do not have the same father as genuine believers in Jesus. And, of course, they argue with him in verse 39 and say, but wait, um, we, uh, uh, Abraham's our father. That's who our father is. Now, they, obviously, they were from the line of Abraham, but they were not true children of Abraham, Jesus points out, because Abraham believed God. And Abraham trusted and loved God. And while these Pharisees and Jewish leaders were counting on the descendant line from Abraham to bring to be their bargaining chip for salvation, these very religious people were still headed for hell. And so Jesus tells them that their father is the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting. As I was just pondering over the message yesterday, uh, thinking about this, I was reading the newspaper and just thinking about, you know, all the things that we look at in the world today and how things are just so evil. Amen, right? And, and you would think that if Jesus is going to talk to anybody about their father being the devil, you would think that he would talk to the people who are the prostitutes and the, and the wicked tax collectors, those who, thieve, who, who are thieves and, and the oppre- or the oppressive Romans in that day or, or the sexually immoral. But no, that's not who Jesus is speaking to and that's not who he's telling this to, but rather it's the religious people that he's talking to. The religious people that he says to them, your father is the devil. Those people who think that they are going to heaven, their father is the devil. Just as our father was the devil apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, thinking about who we were. And you he made alive who were dead, in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So this is who we once were before we came to know Christ, those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Before we came to know Jesus, then we were under the power of the prince of the power of the air. We were his sons. We were the sons of disobedience who works in us. So who is this prince of the power of the air? Who is this one that he's talking about? The evil one, also known as Lucifer, also known as Satan, also known as the devil. And that's what Jesus says to the Pharisees here, is that you're of your father, the devil. Who is this devil? Well, we see some things about the devil here. In verse 44, again, he says, you're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so what we know about the devil or Satan is that he is the enemy of God. Amen? The devil is the enemy of God. He is the one who is a murderer, the Bible says, Jesus says. He is a murderer. Satan is a murderer and a liar. You remember that he was the one who was in the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent and lied to the first pair, tempting them to sin, to rebel against God. And so we see that he is a liar, a murderer. He, he seeks to devour. He seeks to destroy. You know that passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that's what the devil seeks to do. He seeks to destroy and to devour. He wants none of us to give ourselves over to the Lord. He wants none of us to follow after the king. He wants none of us to give glory and honor to the creator. He wants none of us to be anything like him, but rather to follow after him and to, and to continue to be uh, headed for hell. He, so that's who he is. He, devour, he seeks to devour. He seeks to destroy, to destroy you, your testimony, your witness, uh, your marriage, your work, everything. He seeks to destroy it all. He also is the one who perverts the word of God. This is who the devil is. He perverts the word of God. He twists the word of God. He mangles the word of God. And he corrupts it to say what he wants it to say. In Genesis chapter 3, when he came before Adam and Eve, this is exactly what uh, he he says to them. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, what's he doing? He's causing doubt. He's twisting the word of God. 
And the devil is still about doing that today, by the way, beloved. Seeking to twist the word and seducing the world to downplay the word of God and to doubt the word of God and to dump the word of God. See, he seeks to hinder God's work in the world. That's what he desires to do. He seeks to deceive the lost and the weak saint. For the lost, he deceives the lost by telling them that, hey, you got plenty of time. Don't give your heart to Jesus now. Don't listen to what that preacher's saying. Look, you've got plenty of time. Live your life to the fullest. Live your life, and, and then as you get close to death, then you can say yes to Jesus. But you've got plenty of time. It's a lie. He deceives the lost, but he also see, deceives the weak saint. He'll tell the one who is, is weak in their faith to go ahead and sin because no one will ever know. Go ahead and do it because you deserve this. Go, go ahead and sin because you will enjoy it and you need this. And then after you give in to that temptation, that same liar and same deceiver will then come back to you and say, you sorry thing. He'll say, the Lord will never use you now. You're all alone in this. God's not going to forgive you for what you've done. You see, he's a liar and a deceiver. That's who he is. And then he also thrives. The devil thrives when he causes disappointment. When he causes discouragement. Well, he, he loves to pull that, that tool, that resource out of his toolbox to discourage the people of God. I know he does that in most every pastor and every teacher. As you get ready to get up and teach your lesson, you know, get ready that Sunday morning, or the, even the preachers, the pastors who get up to preach, the devil will say, man, what you got together, that's just pathetic. Nobody's going to be at church today. Nobody wants to hear what you've got to say. Nobody's going to listen. You're going to talk until you're blue in your face, but nobody is going to apply that to their hearts. And then after you get done, he continues his schemes, and he says, man, that was terrible. Man, that was awful. Y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are teachers, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that was terrible. That was awful. Nobody really cared. He loves to discourage us in our walk. He also thrives when he causes us to disbelieve or to doubt or to be in despair about things. He'll tell us, God doesn't care about you. Pray all you want. He doesn't care. He loves to cause us to doubt. He also loves to distract us. He loves to distract us from remembering who we belong to. He loves to distract us from, our, from believing in him and delighting and bringing glory to our creator. He loves to distract us. He loves to cause us to disobey. He loves to, he loves, he, he thrives when he causes dullness to take place. You say, what's dullness? Well, when we become dull to the things of God, we get bored with what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We get bored with coming to church. And when we come, to, when we get ready to come to church, our thoughts are not on, man, what God is going to say to me today, how God is going to work in my heart today, but rather we're thinking, I can't wait till I get my roast beef sandwich when I get home. I can't wait till I get my nap this afternoon. Boy, I can't wait to mow my grass or whatever you do on Sunday afternoon. We're not thinking about what the things of God. And so we have this dullness, and the devil loves to plant that in our hearts, saying, let's hurry up and just get this thing over with so I can get on about my business and the rest of the week. Let me check my box off. And we are dull to the things of God. The devil thrives when we become dull. And then he thrives when he causes defilement, which is sin or discord. Man, he loves it. Listen to me now. The devil loves it when he can cause discord among a body of believers. Because it will tear them apart and it causes the world to take a look and cause the world not to want to follow after the, the one that they say is their savior. He loves to cause discord. As I was thinking about this yesterday, I went across and, and found a, a story from back in 1999. And the, the title of the story was Church Splits Four ways. Oh, have mercy. How in the world can you split four ways? Well, the story goes like this. In a place in Maryland, the story reads like this. A hundred years of Christian fellowship and unity and community outreach ended last Tuesday 
in an act of congregational discord. Holy Creek Baptist Church was split into multiple factions. The source of dissension, you ain't going to believe this, the source of dissension is a piano bench which still sits behind the 1923 Steinway piano to the left of the pulpit. That members and friends at Holy Creek Baptist say that the old bench was always a source of hostility. How dare that bench be that way? (laughs) At present, Holy Creek Congregation will be having four services each Sunday. There's been an agreement mediated by an outside pastor so that each faction will have its own separate service with its own separate pastor. And since the head pastor is not speaking to the associate pastors, each will have their own service, which will be attended by the factioned members. The services are far enough apart that no group will come into contact with each other, and so an outside party between those services will be moving the piano bench to different locations and appropriate positions between the services in order to please all the sides and avoid any further conflict that could result in violence. Have mercy, amen? The devil loves discord because that church's witness is blown. Sometimes it's not a piano bench. You pick any item. The devil can use anything, any way, anyhow. We must be very diligent. Amen? Not to let the devil have his way to cause discord among people because it severs the fellowship, it causes the worship to suffer, and it causes the testimony to be hurt by the world that's watching. And our lamp is quenched. Be very careful. This is who the devil is. He's the one who's behind all of this. And so Jesus points to this, these religious leaders and he says to them, your father is not the heavenly father. Your father is the devil. Because the desire of the devil is for men to think and be and do evil things. But here's the thing. Believing and not believing in Jesus as the I am is the fulcrum of faith. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Is he God or is he not? Do you trust who he is and what he has done? That he died for you on the cross, that he rose again. And have you received him by faith, embraced him by faith, that you have a relationship with him where he is the Lord, the master, and the king of your life? If yes, then God is your father. But if no, what he said to the Pharisees is true for you today as well, that the devil is still your father. So we have one of two fathers, either the holy heavenly father or the worldly wicked devil. And because we have two different fathers we see here, understand that since there's two different fathers, there's also two different natures. Y'all with me? Amen? So there's two different natures. Because children naturally do what their parents do. Y'all believe that? I mean, I can look at my kids sometime, and I can watch Christopher sometimes, and he will, he will shift his face in such a way that I say, man, that looks just like me. Or I can hear my daughters laugh, and they say, that sounds just like their mama. Or they can even, using handwriting, some of their handwriting looks exactly like mine, which is horrendous, or Angie's, which is far better. Our children pick up our nature. And depending on who your father is, beloved... You have that nature. Amen? You have that nature. And so we see, first off, if God is the Father, with God as your Father, in verse 42, we see these words. Jesus says, If God were your Father, you would love me. And so with God as our Father, if God is indeed our Father, then our nature is going to be that we are going to love Jesus. Amen? I mean, it's not going to be any doubt in our minds. We are going to love Jesus and everything about Jesus, what he has done for us. We will recognize who we are, that we are lost without him, that we were headed for hell without him. That's by his grace that we have been saved and that we love 
Jesus with all of our heart and with all of our mind and all of our soul, that we will love him, not just as a great idea out there somewhere, but we will love him because he is God and because he is our Savior and because he is our Redeemer and because he is our Lord and because he is my Master and because he is my King and he is my priority. I'm going to love him with all of my heart and mind and soul. That's going to be my nature if the Father is my heavenly, holy Father. So the question for you today is Jesus is speaking to them. He knows their heart, beloved. He knows your heart today as well. The question for you is, do you love, does your love for Jesus Christ transcend your love for all other things? Does your love for Jesus transcend everything else? Is he your number one love in life. Because if so, we have a new nature. The old nature is under the father, the devil. But the new nature is under the holy father, the heavenly father. Matter of fact, you know 2 Corinthians five seventeen that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, if with, with the heavenly father as our father, we will love Jesus. We have a new nature. And we're going to live like Jesus. We're going to honor the Father. It says in verse 49, I honor my Father. We're going to bring glory to our Father. In verse 50, it says, I don't seek my own glory. In verse 55, we're going to know him and keep his word. He says, I do know him and keep his word. We're going to live like Jesus because we're different now with a heavenly Father. Amen? We have a new nature, and we're going to live like Jesus, honoring our Father who is in heaven. Let's just, if you... I think it will be on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to Ephesians 4, verse 20, reading through the end of that chapter. We're going to look at just what this nature looks like. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus and what he says here about this new nature that we have in Jesus Christ. So starting in verse 20 in Ephesians 4, it says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off... Concerning your former conduct, that's the nature of the devil, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and wholeness. So we are now new. We've been created new in Jesus Christ. We have a new nature. Our Father is holy, heavenly Father, because of what Jesus has done for us and the salvation we have in him. Verse 25, therefore... Putting away all lying, because lying is the old nature. He's a liar. Devil's a liar, remember? Putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. But let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. In other words, don't be lazy. Working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need, that we may be giving. To give to people who have need. Let no corrupt word, watch this, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Man, I could preach an hour on that right there, right? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth because what's in the heart reveals itself to what comes out of our mouths. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but that which is good for necessary edification, encouragement, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Think about how you spoke to people this week. Did it encourage? Did it impart grace? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but let all, watch this now, verse 31, let all bitterness, all wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Verse chapter 5 verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Man, that is, that's who we are now as believers in Jesus and our Father is in heaven and our nature has been changed. Amen? And for those of us who know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this way to have, because we have this nature. But then if we move further and look again at the opposite of that, but the devil as your father, in verse 40, he says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. So in other words, 
If the devil is your father, then you're going to reject the truth. Maybe you're not going to reject that Jesus was a real person because here the Pharisees aren't rejecting that Jesus is a real person because he's standing right there in front of them. But rather they're rejecting that he is who he says he is. They're rejecting his claim that he is God and that he's the one whom they must surrender and submit and yield to. That's rejecting the truth. In verse 41, we see this, as de- if the devil is your father. Verse 41, it says this, you do the deeds of your father, which is lying, scheming, conniving to destroy. Verse 42, it says, if God were your father, you would love me. So the, if the devil is your father, you're not going to love Jesus. And the opposite of love is hatred. So it's one or the other. You love or you hate. In verse 43, it tells us this. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. So if you're a, the devil is your father, then you're not able to understand or able to listen, meaning you're not able to heed or obey his word. You're not listening to him. You're not doing what he says. You're not following what he said for you to do. And verse 44 says, You have your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. So as he speaks to them, the Pharisees, he's saying their desires are those of the devil. Hindering the work of God or slandering the word of God or sowing discord among the saints or causing discouragement and instigating disappointment or distracting from pointing others to Jesus or seeking glory for themselves and not the the holy heavenly father. In verse 44, again, he goes further. He says, he was speaking of the, the devil as the father. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He's a liar and the father of it. And so these people were full of murderous intent. Indeed, we see that they take up stones to throw at Jesus at the end of this chapter. They're willing to murder him, to kill him. They have hatred in their heart. And so you say, well, I I know I'm not a child of the devil because I'm I'm not a murderer. But Jesus equates hating someone with murder. Hatred, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness are ways of the devil. Standing in falsehood, he says, is not truthful with the, they were not truthful themselves, and they were deceiving others and themselves. Verse 48 and 49. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? When they said this to Jesus, that you're a Samaritan, they are insulting him. And you have a demon. They say, You're crazy. They're dishonoring and they're insulting Jesus. And that's the nature of the children of the devil. People who insult and dishonor him by saying they belong to him or believe in him, but they're living a completely different life. If we say we belong to Jesus, if we say that we love Jesus, but we are not living the life that he's called us to live and enables us to live, then we're living a lie. And so we are slandering and dishonoring and insulting our Savior. Insulting and dishonoring him. And then they want him silenced. They want him dead. And so today, we want Jesus' silence, too, sometimes, where we want to do things our own way and on our own and not let him tell us what to do. You see, if you believe in who Jesus is and what he's done, you have a new nature. The nature of the devil uh, is not who you are any longer when you trust Jesus by faith. Amen? Y'all with me this morning? All right, First, first John 3, 8, verses through 10 says this. That he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, meaning whoever has been born of God does not deliberately, knowingly, habitually sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, meaning he cannot habitually live a life that's characterized by the sin because he's been born of God. In this, the children of God, the children of the devil, are manifest. In other words, clearly identified that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and nor is he who does not love his brother. So whoever practices righteousness and loves his brother is of God. You say, well, pastor, there are times when I just don't love my brother. There are times when I have a hard time loving people who are not lovable. There are times when I'm not being very loving. I'm, not being, I'm, I'm rather angry, and I'm full of hatred, and I'm full of bitterness. But I love Jesus. Well, what that is, friends, is called the old sinful nature that's still creeping up in you. You need to crucify it. And remember how much Jesus loved you and died for you. Amen? For believers, the old nature is doing the deeds and having the desires of the devil. If you have no conviction 
when you do those things, then you belong to him. But now those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have a new nature in him. So what's your nature now? What are the desires of your heart? Are you living the truth or living a lie? That's exactly what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. What does he see in you? Where are you? You only have one father. It's either the holy heavenly father worthy of worship or the worldly wicked father, the devil. What's your nature? Have you been changed by who Jesus is and what he's done in your life? Or are you still living that same old nature way? And so there's two different fathers. There's two different natures. And then real quick, there's two different ends. Last week we saw that there's two ways to die. Die in faith or die in our sin. And last week we saw that depending upon what you believe about Jesus and what he has done for you reveals who your father is and what your nature is, but also what your end will be right now. So right now, whatever, whoever your father is, whatever your nature is, is determining what your end is if you were to die right this moment. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and your father is the heavenly father, your nature is his because you've been changed by him and are constantly being changed by him, then you have life. That's our end. Amen? That's our end. Verse 51 says, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The word keeps my word means if we're hearing who he is, seeing what he has done, and we've trusted him by faith, we keep his word. He says he shall never taste death. Why, what an awesome word that is from the Savior, amen? For those who know Jesus Christ, who believe in him by faith, who have a relationship with him, our Father is heaven, our nature is being changed, constantly being changed by him, we know that, then we will never taste death. Never taste death. Life eternal. We will have life eternal. And you know what? Only God can make that claim, right? Only God can make that promise. And Jesus says it. But then also last week, if you remember back in verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So die in your sins means that if you were to die today, if the Father is your devil, your nature has not been changed, you are still under that old nature, meaning you're under the wrath of God, then your end now is death. If you were to die at this moment, you would die forever. You would die in your sin, which is a spiritual death. Meaning you would be separated from God forever. Not that you're annihilated when you die. No. You're separated from God forever in a real place called hell forever where the fire is not quenched forever, where there's darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth forever. Key word there is forever. But Jesus says this. Remember again verse 51. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. He is speaking to these people who are, who are holding out their hopes for eternal life because of their heritage. They're religious people. But Jesus says, your father's the devil. But anyone, anyone who keeps my word, he shall never see death. The promise was for them, and the promise is for you. That if you know Jesus, if you trust him by faith, he calls you to himself to be his child. As we have a holy, heavenly father, he changes our nature. We're new creatures in Christ. Our end changes. We have life forever. Most assuredly, if anyone keeps my word. All right, three things to do, and we're done. All right, real quick. Number one, answer this question. And you just do this on your own. Don't say it out loud, all right? Answer this, on, answer this question. Who do you claim to be? Who do you claim to be? That's the question they asked Jesus. Now Jesus asks you, who do you claim to be? Are you a child of God or are you a child of, of the devil? Secondly, whatever you're claiming now, take an inventory of your nature. Is your nature more like Jesus, or is your nature more like the devil's? Take an inventory of your nature. Don't ask your spouse to do that for you, all right? You be honest with yourself, and if you think that you might need a little help, well, then you go ahead and ask your spouse, but be warned, all right? Do an inventory of your nature. Take an inventory of nature. And then thirdly, 
If you've never received Christ, then receive Christ by faith. And then as you have received Christ by faith, then live the life. Amen? Live the life. Because here's the thing. Jesus says, I am. He is God. And his claim to deity demands a response from you. Will you believe or will you not? Will you live that out or will you not? His claim to deity demands a response from you. Let's pray together. Father, may you have your way in our hearts and our lives as we seek to follow you. Lord, I pray that all over this building that there are people who say that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their Father is the Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. That beyond a shadow of a doubt that their nature has been changed because of Jesus. That he has worked in their hearts and is continually working in their hearts. And that when they do sin, there's conviction. And they know that they belong to the Lord. And so there's life eternal. No doubt, Father, that in each of us, there are times when the flesh, the old nature, rears up its ugly head. Lord, help us to see it, ask forgiveness of it, crucified on the cross, and walk away from it. But Father, maybe there are those here today, today, who, if they take an actual inventory, an honest inventory, who would say to themselves, you know, I don't think I belong to Jesus. I think my father really is the devil and my nature hasn't changed. I don't have any conviction when I do things that are more satanic than like the Savior. I need to know. And so, Lord, I pray that there are those here today who need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this would be the moment they would cry out to you knowing that you're the one who saves us as we turn from our sin and turn to you, embracing, believing with all of our heart that you are the Son of God who died for us, who rose again, and profess that you're the Lord of our lives and live that out daily. Father, may you have your way in every heart and in every life here today that you'd guide people to make the decisions of commitment or recommitment to follow you to be faithful as we yield this time and our hearts to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to be here at the front. If you need to...